I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. From the Boston Globe, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. I was always the person who decided to leave, so I wasn't laid low with unhappiness. I just always picked myself up and and moved on. I think kids have a really crazy idea that it's going to be a red-hot romance for 45 years, and, and it isn't like that. Like, how? what's the longest red-hot romance anybody can expect? Three. Okay. Okay, that answers the question about that marriage. (laughs) (laughs) This is Margot Howard. If you don't know her, she's an advice columnist herself. She was Dear Prudence, then Dear Margot. She's also the daughter of the most famous advice giver of all time, my hero, Ann Landers. Margot has been married four times, so she knows a thing or two about breakups. This is really wonderful in the vice columnist with four husbands. But anyway. Recently, I had the chance to hang out with Margot in Sarasota, Florida. As two advice columnists hanging out in the sun, we had the chance to talk about a million things. But one of the most important conversations I think we had when it came to breakups was about mementos and relics, all these important objects we collect during a relationship and what happens to them after the relationship ends. Margot tells me that after one of her divorces, Freedom was actually more important to her than any of the objects left in her possession. When I unloaded the starter husband, I really bought my way out of that one. There was a very valuable art collection. I said, you take it. I took a dive on all the arrangements, which was a very subtle F.U. message, like, it's worth anything to me to be rid of you. Then, when she left husband number two, Margot parted with something even more valuable. He was just so destroyed and distraught, I I wanted to make him feel better. So I said, you can have the dog. He was very fond of the dog. And and then when I told the children, they said, mother, that's our dog. I said, look, we have to do what we can to help him through this. And he did take the dog. Oh, yes. But I thought it was the least I could do. This is one of the many reasons Margot is my idol. She can move on right when it's time to. Unlike me, and maybe you, she doesn't spend years ruminating over what might have been. The rest of us, we're more like the guy who needs the dog. Think about it. When you break up with someone, so much evaporates, like overnight. Love, daily text messages, a shared Hulu account so only one of you has to pay for The Handmaid's Tale. All gone, just like that. But then there's that other category of things, special things. 
things that retain some precious meaning or assume a completely new meaning after the breakup. All this season on the Love Letters podcast, I'm exploring breakups and how to get over them. After speaking with Margot, I started thinking about the stuff we throw away and the stuff we just can't let go of. What are we supposed to throw out? And does keeping stuff delay us from moving on? It makes me think of things I've kept after my own breakups, and in particular, one very special t-shirt. So I haven't received that many cool gifts from boyfriends. I'm not whining here. Honestly, it speaks to how well they've known me. I'm not a jewelry person. I like gifts that are experiences and food. I love food. So all you have to do is get me a gift certificate to the Cheesecake Factory. But years ago, one boyfriend gave me a t-shirt. I'll call him Patrick. To be accurate here, Patrick started by loaning me his t-shirt. It was a Minnesota Timberwolves t-shirt, and it was huge on me. I could wear it like a dress. When I told him how comfortable it was, I think I was hinting, he told me I could keep it. The gift probably didn't mean that much to him, but to me it meant everything. I felt like I had been given like a letterman's jacket. I didn't even know what kind of sport the Timberwolves played. Of course, after we broke up, that same t-shirt haunted me. I would wear it to bed and cry and blow my nose in it, or not wear it, and then I'd cry harder. A friend of mine, a very good friend, decided that I shouldn't keep it. He took it from me, and as far as I know, because I begged him not to throw it out or burn it, he put it in the basement of the apartment I was renting. He literally hid it from me. It's possible it's still down there. Or maybe he was lying to me, and it did immediately go to the dump. But here's the thing. Now that I'm way over that breakup, I wish I still had that t-shirt. It was a way to remember something great I had with Patrick. And I think we should hold on to things that remind us of the good times. Sometimes, souvenirs from our relationships start out meaning one thing, but then end up meaning something completely different. That's what happened in this next story. How would you like to be referred to? Why don't you call me Jack? Jack's 25 lives in Somerville, Massachusetts, and is a creative who works in media. It started back in very late 2015 with a a person who was visiting the United States from Ireland. He was visiting family. And we met on a dating app. We met on Tinder. And I think we maybe had talked for like a week before we had started to um, meet up. We met... um, the first night we met, it was actually a couple of days before Christmas. They arranged to meet at a bar, and Jack says the connection is instantaneous. Like, I had never experienced a, you know, an attraction like that before in my life. Like, it was very, kind of, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Did he have an Irish accent? Yeah. Of course he did. You know, I'm a sucker for any of that. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was, it was, I was good. They have some drinks. They have some more drinks. They go back to Jack's apartment. He's infatuated at this point. I I think we were just laying on my bed or something, and we were talking about where we wanted to go. Like, I I had mentioned that I wanted to travel, and uh, we were talking about, you know, places that I wanted to go. And I, I told him that I wanted to go to Paris. And so maybe about five minutes later, as he's getting changed, he... (laughs) He pulls a euro, a five euro note out of his wallet and wrote on it. The note says, for coffee in Paris. To Jack, this is a promise. 
one day they will sip espresso together at a cafe in the Marais. A moment like that, like I, I was just like, I was floored. Like I was, it was completely just like out of the blue. Like, really? Wow. <laughs> They spend the next several days together, until it's time for the guy to go back to Ireland. After that, they stay in touch on the phone for a few months. They FaceTime. At some point, the guy tells Jack he's about to take a trip to Kenya. And this is when Jack gets ghosted. The guy goes on his trip and stops communicating with Jack completely. I mean, I was, you know, racking my brain as to, you know, what could have happened. And then I saw photos on social media of him enjoying his trip. And after he came back, I texted him a couple of times just saying, you know, can we talk? What, what's going on? I want to hear about what you're, what you're thinking. And he never got back to me. Tell me how you felt emotionally. I, I was pretty gutted. Uh, this was also in, during a month-long span. He left the country um, at the beginning of January. And by the end of January, I had, I had lost my job and I had to move into a new apartment. You know, I was understandably pretty depressed over it. It was the last thing that I could have possibly lost at that time, and I lost it. At this point, though, Jack still holds on to the euro note. A year goes by and still no word. Jack can't quite shake what happened. His friends push him to get in touch with the guy, that he should demand some kind of answer. I texted him and I said, basically, listen, you know, I deserve to know what happened. I deserve to know why you did what you did. And, you know, I'm not necessarily mad at you anymore but I do need some sort of explanation. And about probably 12 hours later, I got a text explaining that he was, he was scared. You know, he was very, I mean, as remorseful as you can get via text, it sounded like it was an apology. It sounded very, it sounded genuine. At the time, it was enough that I could just be like, okay, I guess I can live with that. <laughs> Some more time passes, and Jack still has the euro. Still hasn't heard anything, which is why he takes a big risk. The ex at this point is living in London. Jack is headed to London on a trip. He proposes getting together. It works. He replied, and he said, you know, absolutely. I'd love to see you. Uh, you know, why don't we, you know, once you get here, we can take it from there. And I said, okay. And so I... I got there, and we had connected. We had spoken. Um, we had ended up speaking on the phone for the first time in over a year and a half. It was the most surreal thing ever to hear his voice again. It was exactly like I remembered it. The guy says he works in a restaurant right near where Jack is staying and that they can meet there for drinks. His ex even makes a special reservation for lunch. Day comes, you know, I can kind of replay it in my head, the moments of sort of getting ready, and I remember taking, taking the bus and then getting on the tube. You know, it's like that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. I can just replay it in my head. 
that, that two-hour span, I am more nervous than I've ever been for anything in my life. So Jack gets to the restaurant. He asks for the table in the guy's name and sits down. He's beside himself with excitement. I sat at that table for an hour and a half. He did not show up. I had probably gone through two drinks at this point because I was just sitting there like a fool at that table in front of people that he worked with for an hour and a half waiting for him. And after a while, you know, maybe after another 30 minutes, I was just like, I've been played again, haven't I? I I had never felt more embarrassed in my life. Like, this is something that only happens in movies. So after that lunch that never came to be, did you ever reach out again? Um, yeah. I, uh, you know, I was, I was feeling a little ballsy. And I was, you know, kind of just fired up in terms of emotion. And I did something pretty out of character. And I, you know, I just kind of sent this one last, like, you know, manifesto text. Will you, will you tell me what the text said? Well... I need closure at this point. <laughs> I know. Well, don't we, don't we both. Um... I won't read the whole thing because it's a very, it's a pretty long-winded text. But, you know, I basically was just like, you know, listen, given your track record, I shouldn't have been surprised as to how today turned out. I just wanted to let you know that I hope that you never experience the disappointment, the embarrassment, and the anger that I felt waiting for you at that table like an idiot. Jack never hears back. But at this point, he really doesn't need to. When I spoke with Jack, we talked about his brief, dreamy relationship and how it had changed. And I wanted to know more about the euro and what it meant to him now. Why did he keep it? Do you have the note with you now? I do. Can I see it? Yes. I feel like I'm touching something very valuable and I'm stressed (laughs) out. Oh, it's 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 a euro. Yeah, I would have kept this too. Yeah. It was quite possibly still is the most romantic gesture that anyone's ever done for me. Do you think you'd be surprised to know you still have this $5 euro in your wallet? You know, I'm not sure if he would be surprised. Some part of me doesn't think he even remembers giving it to me. But I feel like if he did know how much it meant to me, I think he might be a little surprised, yeah. Jack says there were times he thought about ripping it to pieces or throwing it away, or feeding it to a paper shredder. But he's glad he didn't. I'm sort of glad he didn't. This crumpled, colorful bill with this romantic declaration written in thick black Sharpie on it, for Jack. It just looks like the kind of thing you'd keep. What do you think it means to you now? You know, I think... I think it means that I'm not holding out hope anymore that we'll ever be in each other's lives again, but it does... It signifies that there will be somebody else out there who will kind of treat me the same way as he did those few weeks that we were together. 
in person. And, you know, it's just always a constant reminder that, you know, you can't give up on just, you know, finding love. I think by keeping it, it has made me a stronger person in terms of my attitudes towards relationships and is turned from, at first, an optimistic object into a more pessimistic object and then back into an an optimistic uh, object again. I think I went into this hoping that the quickest answer to getting over a breakup would be to throw everything out, to start fresh, to tidy up. But now I'm thinking that the key is to keep what you need to remind you that there's more and that there's hope. At the end of the day, this is just, you know, it's an object that brings me comfort. Not only does it bring me comfort, it it gives me hope that, you know, one day something like this will happen again. Thank you, Jack, for showing me what's worth keeping. I'm glad that I could do that, Meredith. So here's what I'm thinking about the stuff that's left behind after our relationships end. Based on my T-shirt, Jack's note... And maybe even Margot's dog, depending on how her ex wound up caring for it. I think sometimes we do have to take important objects and put them out of our sight. But maybe only temporarily. Sometimes seeing the relic reminds us that we had it good once, and that there's more romance to come. Contrary to what I thought, Jack's story taught me that these items can actually help us move on. That said, if you have an object lying around that's giving you grief and preventing you from letting go... Find a friend, like I did, who'll hide it in a basement for you. And then maybe, when you're ready, you can look at it again. Because that object might actually remind you that a new beginning is possible. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe. The podcast is produced, edited, and engineered by Amy Padula. Audio mixing by John Jenkins. Music by APM. Our executive producers are Scott Hellman and Janice Page. Special thanks to Joseph Tavares, Linda Henry, and Brian McGrory. So just like I do in the column, I want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Do you keep relationship relics? Send us your thoughts at loveletters@boston.com. On our next episode, I'll explore extreme breakups, whether doing big things like cutting your hair or climbing Mount Kilimanjaro can help you move on. Be sure to subscribe to Love Letters on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're online at loveletters.show. And of course, if you like us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.